Great. Well, it's lovely to be here. I, actually, I did pop along to the um, Young Adults uh, weekend, uh, not that I'm a Young Adult, and it was just, I, I was very moved just to see uh, so many of you that are here this evening as well as who are away. I actually think where, where people feel that uh, actually the church in the UK kind of is on the wane, and, and maybe it doesn't appeal to people in their 20s and 30s, actually to see 150 of you there in a barn in the middle of the Moldens, uh, just saying, Jesus, this is the most important thing for me. I was just, for someone who's getting slightly older now, just so moving to feel actually there is, kind of, there's hope for the, this generation, for this world, that actually there's people like you who are putting Jesus first, and who are putting Jesus first, anything can happen. Um, so, um, yeah, thank you for letting me kind of stalk around a bit yesterday and just to see you in action, but uh, very, very inspiring. Um, we are kind of uh, just two last um, talks on our series of Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Um, and we've been trying to investigate this, this person who uh, we mentioned from Sunday to Sunday, this person who lived 2,000 years ago, kind of, who, who is he? We've looked at some of the, his claims, kind of, was he just a human being, or was he God, was he a moral teacher? And we looked at uh, some of the things that he said, uh, some of the things that he did, the kind of the miracles that he brought, and, um, and this evening we get the title is, uh, Jesus a Provocateur. Um, actually, Jesus was trying to provoke something. In Holy Week, Jesus was trying to provoke something. Actually, he was trying to provoke uh, a reaction, a reaction in a world that was going... Um, off the rails, actually, a world that was broken, a world that was evil, a world that was sad, actually a world that needed rescuing. And Jesus came to rescue. And the question, who is Jesus? I suppose the answer we're going to look at this evening, just briefly, is uh, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Because today is Palm Sunday, as, as Claire mentioned. And, and Palm Sunday, we, we remember uh, Jesus coming into um, uh, the city of Jerusalem and um, and, and this is what um, it says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. They bought a donkey and a colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, a great question here, who is this? Who is this? As Jesus entered Jerusalem, um, people were wanting a king. Actually, people were wanting a king. Actually, in, in those days, uh, if you, uh, someone who kind of maybe is fairly new to faith or here as a visitor, actually 2,000 years ago, where Jesus lived, it was under Roman occupation. Actually, the nation that Jesus kind of grew up in was the nation of Israel, and, and, and it was a, a low ebb. There had been kind of the glory days, uh, the glory days when David was king, the glory days when in that region, Israel was top dog. It was the glory days where there was, where there was peace and any enemy that was being fought, kind of they always won. It was the glory days because there was peace and there was affluence and there was riches and security. And here they were, they were under the uh, occupation of the Roman army, that the temple kind of structures were creaking at the seams, kind of things weren't happening as they always thought they were going to be. So they were looking for a king. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for someone who was going to kind of make them top dog once again, who was going to kick out the Romans, who was going to reinstitute kind of a, well, 
someone who's going to be the son of David, who's going to see David's kingdom happening in Israel again. And so as they hear the stories kind of circulating of Jesus up in Galilee and as he travels down towards Jerusalem, there's a buzz of anticipation. Could this be the king? Could this be King David's son? Could this be the king that finally does the very things that in our national history we always hoped for? Will he sort out the Romans? Will he mean that any enemy that we face uh, is going to be defeated? Could he be the one? And so Jesus comes in Jerusalem and there's this buzz of anticipation. And they say, Hosanna to the son of David because they're wanting someone who's going to be the son of David to come once again to, to rule in Jerusalem. But there's still, as he comes in, and with all the shouting, with all the worshipping, actually there's still a question. And the question is, ah, oh, who is he? Is he really the king? Is he, is he the kind of king that we want? We kind of thought, ah, oh, riding on a donkey. It's not super impressive. Kind of David and Solomon and those guys, they had the splendor. And, um, well, mm, and kind of there's just a few branches. I and mean, it's not like a red carpet. There's kind of a few branches and people are just taking their coats off and throwing them down. And who, is this, who is this man? And as we follow, go through Holy Week, we find the king that Jesus is, is a different kind of king to what they expected. Actually, it was a different kind of king that they'd hoped for. They were hoping for a king who was going to sort out Israel's problems. They were looking for a king who was going to make Israel kind of peaceful. They were looking for a king who was going to sort out all Israel's enemies, put all Israel's wrongs to right. But Jesus' plan was so much bigger, so much more intense, so much, actually, it was to change the whole world. It wasn't just to put one nation back on top dog. Actually, it was any human being who would turn to him. They would find a fullness of life, a peace, a sense of well-being, a connection back to God that wasn't dependent on a human-built temple, but was because they had a new life. A doorway was open for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Actually, he was a new kind of king who didn't just want to sort out just kind of a Roman empire and a few Roman soldiers. He wanted to sort out the root of all evil in our world. And as we go through Holy Week, actually you can see that's the trajectory he's on. He's not on there just to be a little national king. He's come to be the king of kings, the king of the whole world, a king that brings a kingdom that can change every rotten society, every broken human heart. He's going to be the king that's going to go, and he's going to face, as we read through the story of the Holy Week, actually we see he's going to face kind of uh, all kinds of, of evil and rottenness that's, that's affected the human condition over the centuries, and he's going to face them head on with love and justice and compassion, a bit of anger, forgiveness. And as Jesus comes, he addresses these evils, not just to sort out something for Israel, but to sort out things eternally for our world. And for you, and for me. So as we, as we go into Holy Week, kind of um, when we get the little kind of sermon briefs for, for preaching, uh, sometimes it's kind of it's a, it's a few verses. Sometimes it's a chapter. Um, I've been given seven chapters. I'm not going to read them all. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, but as, as we go from chapter 21 through to chapter 27. Um, of Matthew's gospel, I just want to kind of pick out a few things as Jesus went through that week to show that he's a different kind of king. He's a king that's, that's facing down evil. He's facing down the structures of this world. He's facing down things that always abuse and, and marginalize and harm and destroy and dis deface the beautiful world that God created. The first thing we see, he faces down institutions. 
as he goes into the temple. And he sees this temple that was supposed to be a place of worship. It was supposed to serve people, but actually it became an institution that was serving itself. Because the Jews kind of didn't like Roman coins because they had images on them. Actually, if you went into the temple, you had to swap your coins for, for temple coins that were, kind of, that were pure, that could be used to buy the doves for your offering if you were poor, or, or to buy a goat or a sheep if you were slightly richer. And, and, and so you had to kind of change that coin for temple coins. But the institution thought, you know what, here's an opportunity to make money from the marginalized. Actually, to, 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 to abuse them. this place which should have been a house of prayer, Jesus storms in and he turns over the tables and says, you've turned this into an institution that for the sake of making money is oppressing, marginalizing, excluding people. And he faces institutionalism. And in our world, there's institutions, there's the kind of, some of the, the, the multinational corporations, and they think, Do you know what, we can make a bit of money, we can get a bit of kind of influence over the marginalized or the poor. And again, there's been kind of campaigns throughout, throughout my lifetime of saying, actually, where an institution has gone into um, maybe a, a country in Africa or in Latin America, and they think, oh, here's an opportunity to make a bit of money. Back when I was kind of when I was younger, it was Nestle, and it was kind of uh, um, milk powder given to um, uh, to mothers instead of using breast milk, and it was just a kind of we, here's an opportunity in a developing market to make a bit of cash. And so there's a whole thing around kind of uh, don't drink Nescafe, don't get Kit Kats, kind of let's boycott kind of Nestle because there was something about the institution that thought they could make money. Uh, fair trade chocolate again was, uh, and it was about how, and, and, and sugar. It was about how how institutions feel. Actually, we, do you know what? we can use the poor and the vulnerable, and we somehow the institutions that we can have can um, make us more comfortable off the back of them. And and Jesus was outraged at institution. As institutionalism is something that the enemy is using to keep people down, to keep them kind of marginalized, kind of the, the, the big kind of sometimes the, the, um, the, the multinational co corporations that are, that are just in it for what they can get and it doesn't really matter what happens to the resources of uh, a developing country as long as we can make a bit cash. And Jesus faces the institutions. I've told somebody before that I had a friend called John who was, uh, I had a, there's three of us that had accountability, we, a little accountability friendship while I was in Lancaster. And, and it was a time when we were boycotting Kit Kats and, and Nescafe. Um, and he said, Do you know what, I've got, he was doing a, a business master, business studies masters, and he said, you know what, I, I just think I'm going to go and get a job in Nestle. And I'm going to get a job and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God helps me to get into some of the board meetings. Uh, so that rather than just not eating a Kit Kat, I'm going to be there to face down the institutions from the inside. And God bless him, John, he did that. And he was quite a bright guy, but I think it was with God's help. He, he became part of, um, high up in the UK, eventually went to lead Nestle in Australia. And he was in these board meetings where he could make decisions. And here's somebody who was taking what he saw Jesus doing, turning over the tables. And he thought, I'm going to see the kingdom of Jesus come through my workplace. As Matt was saying about that workplace course, actually we need to see lots of people who are going to say, how does the kingdom of God face down institutions where money is more important than people? Here Jesus turns over the money changes temple, uh, in the temple. Second thing, religion. He faces down religion. 
that the, the scribes and the Pharisees were, were super religious. And particularly in chapter 23, we, we see Jesus saying, God, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, Pharisees. Actually, religion is going to get you nowhere. In fact, religion is demonic. And I'm not just talking about other religions. I'm talking about religious Christianity, where you think that religious practice is going to do it for you. Where you think that actually certain schemes or certain things you follow or, or certain rituals or certain regulations or certain kind of prayers are going to are somehow going to connect you with God. And that's rubbish. It's only in Jesus. And here these scribes and the Pharisees, they were codifying how, how people, should, this is the only way you can encounter God. It's through the, these food laws. It's through abstaining from this. It's by doing this. And again, they set all these rules out for people and yet they weren't doing it themselves. There was a religious spirit there. And Jesus confronted. He kind of poked the bear. He kind of, as, he, as, as he says, actually, you guys, religious spirit is not the way. Actually, in fact, you're, you're making people twice the sons of hell as you are. And religion, religious practice, holds people away from living God. That's why Jesus confronted it. He wanted to defeat the power of religion that thinks that rituals, regulations are going to sort it out for you, make your life a little bit better. It's only Jesus that can truly transform your life. There's the power of money. Money is neutral, but, but money has a power behind it. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Actually, if there's anything in you that's, that is the love of money, actually, there is a power. Paul says that the love of money, actually, is the root of all kinds of evil. When we look at the world and look at some of the evils we have in the world, of whether it's kind of, um, I don't know if you ever watch kind of um, uh, murder mystery things on TV. Actually, quite often, there's money in the end of it. Who's going to be, kind of, who's, who's kind of, when this person dies, who's going to inherit? Or what's it kind of, because there's something about money, kind of some of the human trafficking, some of the drug trading. Actually, it's about money, the, the love of money. I want to get rich is the root of all evil. And here is Judas. And in John's Gospel, just tell us about, about Judas, who was one of the 12, had been with Jesus, but somehow in his heart, there was a love of money. They, he looked after the common purse as they travelled around, and, and he was stealing money from the purse. And eventually, when it comes to uh, the betrayal, it's Jesus or thirty pieces of silver, thirty pieces of silver, or Jesus. I'll take the thirty pieces of silver because money has a power to it. And when Jesus comes uh, to, towards the cross, he knows that he has to face down money. He has to face down the power and the corruption that money can bring. Now, there's nothing wrong with wealth. Wealth is there to, for you to be generous, uh, to be godlike, to be kind of to, to the resources that you have are for sharing and giving and enabling other people. There's nothing wrong with money because it can bless people. But when you love money, it becomes self-seeking, as we see many places of the, of the world. Actually, there's an evil that Jesus, in that Holy Week, he faces the power of money, betrayal, valued, you're just valued 30 pieces of silver, Jesus. That's how much. I think you're worth. He takes the money. Next thing he faces down is nationalism. Actually, nationalism is a, is a strong power. Nationalism, I think, is a, is a, is a kind of a, a spiritual force that we have to wrestle with. Caiaphas was the high priest, and in John's Gospel, it says uh, this about, about um, Caiaphas. Uh, he, he says this, don't you realize it's better uh, for you that one man die 
for the people than for the whole nation perish. Actually, nationalism, kind of, kind of, let's get rid of, here's something, a bit of trouble. He's innocent, but actually we can get rid of him because we've got the, the nation needs to survive. Actually, nationalism is across the globe. Nationalism is defensive. Nationalism keeps people out. Nationalism marginalizes. Nationalism can give space to racism. Actually, nationalism kind of judges us as better than, than you. Actually, nationalism is, is something that actually does lead to, to wars, kind of Ukraine and, uh, and Russia, and actually many kind of countries around the world where there's, there's hostility and, and violence. Actually, nationalism, self-protecting, our race, our culture, our, our country is the best. We don't want you to infect or infest or, or harm. Therefore, nationalism is something that Jesus faces. He didn't realize that in fact, he was prophesying, it's better for Jesus to die than for the whole nation, actually the whole world to die, to go to a godless eternity. Jesus' death was the death that brought hope and life to us all. But nationalism is a power that, that uh, we face in our world. And as, we went, as Jesus goes to the cross, he faces down the, the power of nationalism. Just the last two things. One is, is political expediency. Um, his pilot. And Pilate is the Roman governor who doesn't want trouble in his province. He doesn't want news to get back to Rome that things are going wrong. He wants to protect and maintain his political career. And, and there's a power, even though his, his wife has a dream to warn him, even though he questions Jesus and finds Jesus to be innocent, actually, he, he knows how politics works. And he knows sometimes you need to bend the rules. Sometimes you have to make the wrong choices because you want to survive. You want to succeed. You want to be elected the next time round. Political expediency is something that is actually, people can start off with the best intentions, but there is a strange power around it. Uh, many years ago, when I was young, um, I was invited to 10 Downing Street to, to meet Gordon Brown. Um, uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, I, know, I look even more like Matt there, apart from a little bit. Um, there was about 40 or 50 church leaders from around the country who were involved in city transformation, who were trying to make a difference in the, in the cities. Um, and so I got a little invite along. And uh, because there was no cameras there, apart from there's a, there was this kind of um, uh, one of Gordon Brown's people taking these photographs, um, there's no journalists, no recording. Uh, actually, it was interesting to hear Gordon Brown just talk just personally about his own life. Because we were church leaders, he spoke about his upbringing, his Christian upbringing, about how going to chapel around how his Christian upbringing from his parents and from going to Sunday school and actually had shaped his morality, had shaped his worldview, had shaped who he was as a person. And in some ways it was quite moving to just to hear how, why he went into politics. But then coming away and then just in the next few months just seeing some of the decisions he's making, you think, oh, hang on a minute, sat with him with other church leaders, him talking about his Christian faith, and then seeing some of the political decisions he's having to make, kind of why, how does that kind of man do that kind of thing? And it's because there's a, a sinister power of, of politics that somehow try, power does have, even for the people with the most genuine motive, motives, has this corrupting effect. And, and, and Jesus knows that as he goes to the cross, there's something about our world where kind of political factions uh, and uh, kind of uh, making decisions so that you keep in power actually don't serve the most marginalized sometimes in our society. Pilate washed his hands and said, it's none of my business. You, innocent Jesus, die.
Just lastly, military might. Actually, military might, how, what are, how is the evil within the world? How do we see that being exercised? And actually, military might and military power, eventually it is the Roman soldiers that put Jesus to death. Eventually it is them that crucify him. Eventually it is kind of that they hand him over and it's the, uh, the forces of the centurion and his soldiers that take Jesus' arms, stretch them out onto the wood and drive the nails through his wrists and through his feet. Is the army that put a spear through his side. We live in a world where military might and, and all the grotesque things that, that happen, whether it is uh, just we're praying for um, children that are, uh, kind of, that are cared for by hands at work in the DRC at the moment. And again, there's just kind of this, um, this faction, this military faction, they're just working their way through uh, the DRC at the moment. And again, it's just horrendous. They're small girls being put into sex kind of, ah, boys given guns, trained to be soldiers. I mean, they're 10, 11, 12-year-old boys. And, and you think, what kind of a world are we in where military might seems like a reasonable option? What kind of king is Jesus? Jesus is the kind of king who comes against all these kind of things. As he goes through Holy Week, he faces them one by one. He faces down institutionalism. He faces down religion. He faces down finances. He faces down um, those that um, want to, uh, that uh, have got political power. He faces down military might. And eventually he comes to the place where he's crowned king. He's crowned king, and in this moment, he defeats all those powers of darkness. Here's what happens. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. But later on it says this, uh, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and tombs broken open. Here was Jesus on the cross, crowned with thorns. Above him, it was just simply, here is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Little did they know, little did they know that here was Jesus, king of the world. Here was Jesus, the conqueror of evil. Here was Jesus, who was king over everything that's gone wrong in this world. Here is Jesus, the king of justice, the king of hope, the king of peace, to anyone who will turn to him. Little did they know that this is Jesus, the king of kings. And I wonder this evening whether you've got space for Jesus to be king. 
I wonder if you've got space where you wrestle with some of those things, either because you wrestle with those things because you see them in society, or actually maybe because you wrestle with those things because you see them in yourself. Actually, you know there's a love of money. You know there's a bit of politicking. You know there's a bit of power craving. You know there's a bit of kind of manipulation that goes on. It might not be military power, but certainly it's the power of your words. Actually, maybe you know there's kind of religious activity, a religiousness that you're, you're quite judgmental, quite harsh towards other people who don't kind of act like you do. Maybe there's something about you that you know this evening. Jesus isn't king, and he could be king in your life. Paul reflects about the cross in Colossians. He says this, um, I think it's on the screen. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities. Those six, six things that I mentioned in Holy because Jesus faced, actually faced them with justice and truth. Eventually he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as he does that and dies, he defeats, he disarms every power of darkness. And the challenge now for us is, do we say, yes, Jesus is king? Is Jesus your king? If he is, then you need to let this Holy Week, the kingship of Jesus, touch you. If Jesus is your king, you need to see his kingdom touch this world. In some ways, you turn over tables of injustice. You speak against the religious spirit. You operate with generosity that speaks against the spirit of materialism. You show generous welcome and, and embrace diversity rather than closing down to people just like me. Actually, if you're someone and Jesus is king of your life, he needs you to change this broken world. He needs you to see his kingdom come, his will being done. He needs you to wrestle with those principalities and powers who are disarmed, to submit them to the name of Jesus. One day, Jesus will return, and his victory will be totally obvious and evident to everybody. Actually, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's our chance this evening to say with our lips, today, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are King. Bring your kingdom, we pray. What I want to do is just give us a chance to um, be quiet for a moment and ask yourself the question, is Jesus king in your life? Is he the boss? Is he the master? Is he your CEO? Is he your captain? And if not, I think there's an invitation this Holy Week Maybe alongside the crowds, Hosanna, Hosanna. God saves, God saves. In you, Jesus, you save. Will you be my king? And maybe just in the quiet for a moment, if there's any of those kind of six things that I said and, and, and either they resonate with something you're facing at the moment in your own life or maybe there's something that resonates with your workplace or some things you're trying to kind of resolve at the moment, Actually, just say, Jesus, be king. Jesus, be king in my life. If you're here this evening and you're not quite sure who Jesus is, 
Maybe you got, you'd ask that question, who is this? Maybe just even the quiet now, just say, Jesus, if you're there, if you're real, maybe you're listening online. If you're real, I want to open myself up to the possibility you're there to bring your justice and your hope, your forgiveness to my life. This Holy Week, Jesus faced the powers that presented themselves in human situations and he defeated them all. Again, for some people here, to be able to say, actually, I want to stand to see the powers defeated in the human situations that I encounter around the world. Standing up for justice. The, standing alongside the marginalized. Maybe for some of you, you just sense even this, this evening, actually, a bit like my friend John with Nestle, actually, could there be something of justice that God's put into my hands, my abilities, that my opportunities, that I could see my part of the world truly transformed with Jesus' power and hope and love? I'm going to get the worship band to come and um, back at the front and we've got to kind of quarter an hour or so um, and I just think it's just a chance to say Jesus we want you to be king we want you to be king and, and like any king we bow our knee to somebody else we make ourselves lower and make them higher we, we give them the respect and the honour that they, uh, they deserve and I wonder this evening if you want to say Jesus I want you to be my king, and I want your kingdom to come, that kingdom that defeats evil, to come through me. I wonder if either of those things are true as we come to worship. I wonder whether you just want to stand, just to, to stand for King Jesus. And as they say, Jesus, count me in. <laughs> I want you to be my king. I want you to be in charge. I actually want, through my own small choices, your kingdom that can change a broken, dark, hostile world. King Jesus, I want to say yes. Reign in my thoughts, reign in my dreams, reign in my emotions, reign in my choices. Jesus, we say there is no one like you. Who is this man? We say you are the king of kings. You are the one who came and as you died upon that cross, gave up your very lifeblood. Somehow you opened up not just the doorway to heaven for us to encounter God as Father, but somehow you defeated the very powers of evil. And the temptation the devil tried to, to offer you the kingdom of this world by bowing down and worship him, and yet you went to the cross, and, as you, and because you went to the cross, actually the kingdoms of this world are now yours. You're not just the king of the Jews, you're the king of this world. And we say this evening, Jesus, be our king. We say this Holy Week, we want to die to ourselves and live to you, King Jesus. Let's take a chance to, to worship and we'll just worship a bit in honour of Jesus and then we'll just see if there's a bit of space, if there's some people who like some prayer, just to let God's kingdom come and touch your hearts. But let's just take these moments to, to worship King Jesus and, 
and put him in his rightful place this Holy Week.